Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is James Lorraine. James describes himself as a recovering engineer, clean for about six years now. Sometimes he relapses and fixes a microwave, but he has a strong group of friends who support him and keep him accountable. When he's not fighting his engineering cravings, he's a technical copywriter who translates Geekspeak into a language regular human beings can understand. But hiding behind this geek facade, James is actually one of the greatest sales minds of social media. And he clearly got to me, because I spent weeks tracking him down for this episode, genuinely buying his heartfelt apologies, only to find out it was all a cunning ploy to see if I was really committed to having him on the show. The man is an evil genius. Ladies and gentlemen, James Lorraine. James, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, thank you. You know, I listened to all your intros from your other podcasts, and you're like, this person is like a Nobel Prize winner. This person is like, you know, keynote speaker wanted by everybody. This person invented the internet. And then I thought, what are you going to have for me? Like, I don't really, I'm impressed at your level of research, sir. That's amazing. Let me give you one more, one more bit of research that hopefully will impress you and amuse oh. you. Who, let's see who's, who I've got here with me. Is that a little Wolverine? Uh, it is indeed. It's a, it's a, it's a Logan, to be exact, uh, yeah. to be exact from the movie. And um, and the reason I have it here, apart from the fact that I know you are a Wolverine fan or used to be, is because I I recorded this this podcast in the Fortress of Pillows, which is my daughter uh, my my daughter's bedroom. Yeah. And uh, when the oldest Alice started sort of regressing in her sleep and feeling um, you know afraid of things at. Uh, afraid of things in the dark yeah one of the only things i could do to trick not trick her but convince her that it was okay to sleep by herself was yeah. to tell her that logan was going to protect her yeah that's awesome how do you know i'm a wolverine fan listen i do my research man oh my gosh <laughs> i think you know what honestly though everyone's a wolverine fan so let's be real about this it's probably a safe bet they should be Wolverine fans. They should be Wolverine fans. That's a good idea, though. I got to get one of those for my kids' rooms. They're great. So there is the misdirection wasn't just you know you you making it playing really hard to get to come to the to the episode. I might have suffered from a tiny bit of misdirection as well because when I originally came across you on social media, two things drew me to to you. The first thing is that I misread your headline. I misread it as I can explain high tech to your mom. 
and yeah. instead of to my mom. And I yeah. thought, wow, that takes balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, <laughs> Now I'm a little nervous. Maybe I should capitalize that. I think I think I can explain high tech to your mom. It just changes completely the persona yeah. you have. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. I'm going to have to look at that now. Yeah, it's funny some people were some people were offended by that. And really? That, you know, but yeah, I a couple people said it was ageist and sexist mm. and I'm like you don't know my mom. So it, if I would have said your mom then it probably would have been um but yeah. I, i i was talking about my mom it's legitimate yeah it's it's difficult nowadays because even when you're talking about a real person it's very yeah. hard to to figure out what so even if it's a hundred percent the case with that one person yeah. you might still be giving the impression that you're being prejudiced but i don't know it's a minefield out there for the, for these it things it is it is really difficult yeah And so the other so that was the first thing that drew my eye to to your content on social media but the other thing was It was was a story, and if I recall correctly, it was a story about sourdough, which I understand is also one of your obsessions, right? Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, uh, when the pandemic hit, I realized the only thing we went to the store for was like bread. So I, I should preface, I live in the middle of nowhere, which you probably know, but a lot of people don't. Um, I'm surrounded by cows. There's not a lot out here. So I found a farmer down the road where I can go get milk. And it's actually illegal to buy milk right from the cow in Michigan. You can't buy milk from a cow. You have to buy the milk from the store. You can't buy it from the cow. Or they have to stamp it like not for human consumption. Uh, or you do a herd share, which means I pay for a portion of the upkeep of a cow. And then you get the milk as the byproduct of paying for the cow. And that's legal. So I, have, I, get, I have a, get my milk, my eggs, my meat from a farmer. So all I need really is toilet paper. I told my wife, let's plant a toiletry. Uh, or... Bread. So I started, I got a sourdough starter from somebody and six months later, I, I've, I think I've hit a good point of making artisan sourdough. But yeah, it's one of those things. I think everyone needs to have one of those things where they can just turn their brain off and just, you know, do something with your hands, make something. For me, it's, it's that. It's sourdough. Have you tried well, you... it? Have you baked? I, no, not really. So baking is not really my my thing. But but the main reason why I don't bake is because I find it remarkably dangerous. So I I'm not one of those people that can basically eat whatever they want and and never pay the uh. pay the price. And my one of my Achilles heels is um, warm bread with butter. Like I could just eat that for the rest yeah. of my life. And yeah. uh, that and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I, I avoid having it in the house. And if I That's learned smart. how to bake, then I would force myself to bake all the time. Uh, I'm yeah. more, of a, a, more of a barbecue type of guy. Okay. Oh, I like barbecue. It's about that season here. I, I learned when I make bread now, I have to make multiple loaves at once. Because when you first pull it out of the oven, my wife and my kids will pounce on it and like eat an entire loaf. So for that reason, exactly as you said, I need to make three or four at a time because one's going to be gone like in five minutes. My ex-wife believed that if you're going to bake a cake, you might as well bake three cakes because <laughs> the first one everybody pounces on straight away. Yeah. And then the second one you actually get to enjoy. And then if you're going to bake two, you bake a third one and, you know, take it to work or whatever. But, oh my uh, you know, I, I put on a lot of weight during that relationship. <laughs> That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Oh my goodness. Three cakes. Like whole cakes? 
Yep. Like not like yeah, cupcakes, cakes. like full cake. No, 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 cakes, cakes, pies, you know, whatever. I, I would arrive home and just see on the windowsill, like two or three, two cakes. And I was like, oh, two, she's restrained herself today. And it's like, no, the third one is still in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's smart, I'll so, say. So I, I saw I saw that sourdough story. And the reason I yeah. said that that was a bit of misdirection was because, you know, I saw that and I thought, okay, this guy can definitely tell a story. And, and then I put you on my, on my ever-growing list of people that I want to talk to about storytelling. But if, if there is a genuine, a genuine skill, I haven't seen a great deal more of it because most of the other stuff you do is not really what most people would consider storytelling. But having said that, uh, and again, you feel free to disagree with me. Do you disagree with me? Uh, no, I was going to say you should have seen. I, I, so it's funny. Like if you want to talk imposter syndrome, I think nobody has it bigger than me, which is funny because that's imposter syndrome, right? Um, I did one <laughs> a while ago. I did a series. It might have been before the sourdough. It might have been before you were watching where I was having people recommend like random items or I was picking random dumb items and I would turn them into a story. So I, somebody pointed out to me, and I don't know if it was you or somebody else, that there was a, a group of people who bought things from a thrift store and then lifted them on like Craigslist and me. wrote a story behind it. That was you. Okay. Yeah, so I me. took it. Um, that's awesome that that was you, by the way. That was a long time ago. Well, yeah. What was the name of the... Uh, I forget now. It's the... It, it's something objects. Uh, significant objects. That's it. Significant object experiment. Yeah. How cool that that was you. Right. Yeah. So I started... <laughs> So I wrote like one on like an old school egg beater and I wrote, I wrote some posts about that. The best one I had, I don't know if you read one, it was about chairs. It was actually cool. I read the egg beater one. And the chair, like it, it's not a chair. It's not something you sit on. A chair is a feeling of belonging. Like really, if you show up at a table and there's no chair for you, you don't belong. You know what I mean? You feel like you don't belong. Now you're awkward. If there's a chair, if there's a chair for you, like you feel like you belong. So I rewrote a whole thing about, I don't, man, I'd have to go find it. But it was about essentially that, like selling a chair. Is, you're not buying a chair. You're buying this belonging. You're buying the ability for other people to belong and all that stuff. And I, I kind of wrapped that one in a story and that one did incredibly well. So I don't think, you know, do I have a skill at it? I frankly don't think I have a skill at much. It's just people tend to like what I do, which is cool. Um, so, yeah, so I don't I don't know. I, the problem okay, I have so, with, so let me. Yeah. Let me pick up on the chair one. Yeah. I love that. Although it must be said that I had a chair in school and I'm not sure <laughs> I belonged there. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so I think you can have a chair and not belong, but not having a chair is a very clear sign that you don't belong. And I, I think that, but what I really liked about what you said there is that you were looking for the feeling. So yes, sure, it does. It does a physical thing or allows you to do a physical thing, but what's the feeling that's engendered by it? And and this is the one thing I, I hammer home over and over and over again when I talk to people about this whole nonsense of people not having stories or thinking that their stories are boring or they're not fantastic enough. And I would say that the story is not about the external circumstances of the story. The story is about the feelings generated by the story. Mm -hmm. So you can have a story about feeling inadequate or belonging or overcoming obstacles. And those obstacles don't need to be Everest, to take the obvious example. It could mm -hmm. be a challenge as a parent 
or in mm-hmm. your job, or just you know you were trying to catch the bus and you were not whatever it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what the circumstances are is how did it make you feel because mm-hmm. that's what people will identify with not that's not the only thing they identify with but if if you get that right then you know you're on to something yeah I another thing I told people is you know for the lurkers and the people who don't post frequently and who don't write things very much. I said, the challenge is write something you know that you think everybody else knows. Because what happens is usually somebody writes something that they assume everybody else knows, like, okay, this is dumb knowledge, and they just post something about it. And then a lot of people write back and say thank you and interact. And even people who do know, was wow, it's a great way of putting it. I didn't think of it that way. And it's like all these people get amazing feedback. And I know a few people I started that with who are now like regularly contributing because I think it lowers that barrier wall to just say, write something stupid everybody knows about. And half the time they put something at the beginning that says, everybody knows this, but... And then they go on to say something that like I had no idea about. <laughs> it's a very good tip. you know, t- Tell people about something you think they know instead of mm-hmm. trying to, to educate them or inform them about stuff that they don't know. Uh, at, at least when you, what you are going to get, if you pick your subjects well, is, is relevance. It will mm-hmm. matter to people because it's a subject they, they care about. Uh, and something else that, that you said, you know, so we, we started talking about half of your, had your tagline on LinkedIn, which is I can, I can explain high tech to my mom. But the yeah. second part of it is tech copywriter for humans. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just want, I mean, I think I know your answer, but I wanted to know, to have you explain any way what qualifies the for human part? Yes. Uh, so I wanted to differentiate there from technical writers in general. Um, so I, I've, I've told this a few times and you've probably heard it, but I, I have an electrical engineering degree and I have that degree because my mom said that's the degree I should get. So she said, you're good at math and science, be an engineer. And I feel like a lot of people who go to college don't understand what they want to do until they're already there. Right. So that's what happened. And I went and I did that engineering for 10 years and I realized that I don't actually love it as much as I thought I did. And I really like the understanding consumer psychology and why people buy things. So you, if you have a new product and a lot of times I work with a lot of the copywriting is actually like websites, stuff that's not technical at all that people ping me for. Um, but a lot of the products I work with are like microcontrollers and like, you know, semi-complex stuff, microprocessors, FPGAs, all this crazy stuff. And there are a lot of technical writers who will take that and translate it into here is your memory size and this and this and this, but it doesn't, it's not, number one, I don't want to do that because I don't, you know, it's good people when they get to that level, they need that level of information. If I bought the part and I'm going to use it and I'm hard, I'm very closely evaluating for, okay, that's great. Uh, but I wanted to add the four humans part because I don't enjoy that as much as I enjoy understanding the complex system and then breaking it down so the average person can understand it. So that mm-hmm. that was my own stab at trying to separate myself from people who, you know, basically just list specifications and write mm-hmm. traditional data sheets that are incredibly dry and only really for people who need specific answers when they are in the specific moment. Yeah, there is a problem that that you've touched on before, but also now, where is if you're talking to people from a position of of superior knowledge in the sense, just in the sense of you have more knowledge than them, mm-hmm. uh, you, you are suffering, and you think people are going to get it, you are suffering from what a friend of mine calls uh, your cock problem, also known as the curse of knowledge. 
problem. Yeah. Uh, and you know, is this is this assumption that people get what you're trying to say? They understand. Yeah. Oh yes, but I'm talking about recruitment, and everybody that will know that a lot yeah. of people don't get what you're trying to say, and. And I think it's interesting because when I try to tell people about storytelling and what's the point of storytelling other than, you know, being entertaining, I have often used the metaphor of of a language that a language that human beings actually understand. Mm-hmm. So when you yep. when you speak in figures and and sta- you know just statements and opinions and data, your brain has not evolved to understand that. I mean, mm-hmm. you understand cognitively but it's not how the brain assembles information and retrieves information. So you're mm-hmm. forcing, you know, it's like my my Spanish is decent enough. My Catalan is almost non-existent. So if I'm trying to speak to someone in Catalan and understand what they're saying in Catalan, my brain is doing a whole lot of work and is almost certainly not catching anywhere near as much of the information being imparted or the meaning. Mm-hmm. But if they speak in English to me or in Portuguese, which is my uh, my native language, then, then that's fine. I'll get it. No problem. I understand 100%. And, and I think there's that that happens with storytelling, but also happens with the type of copywriting you do. Yep. No, and I like what you put exactly with uh, retrieving and recalling information and where we put things. I think it's people have asked, what's the, like, how do I write like you do? That's a tough one. I like to, have you heard the story of Picasso with the napkin drawing in the cafe? Most people have heard that. I actually, I, I posted that last week. Oh, there you go. But oh, good because yeah, I was going to post do, do, it this week. Wanna... Now I won't. <laughs> well, I'm, no. sure, I'm sure my take my take on it. I'm sure it will be completely different than yours, and yours will get a much bigger audience. So oh, <laughs> post away. But did you want to no. tell the story, or should I? Yeah. Uh, well, so from my perspective, it was the a lady sure. came and asked Picasso to can I have a drawing or a quick you know whatever. She saw him at a cafe and wanted a drawing. He made up a drawing and he gave it to her and said, it'll be 40 grand or whatever the dollar amount was. And she said, 40 grand, it took you five minutes. He said, well, the dra- you know, this drawing didn't take me five minutes. It took me 40 years. It's the culmination of all the knowledge up to this point. I think the hardest part, what works best in technical writing is analogy. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people talk flack about analogy lately because analogies, you can miss things. They're not entirely accurate. They may be misinterpreted or misunderstood, and those are all very valid risks. But if I'm trying to explain to somebody who's entirely non-technical, so like realtors, financial advisors, like a lot of people who follow me, and I'm trying to explain to them an inductor, which is like Mm. just a coil of wire wrapped around a ferrite. Like I could say it like that, and that doesn't mean anything. Probably most people think I said ferret. Um, But if I explain it and I relate it to like, a gooseneck faucet, so a faucet that looks like this. So when you turn the water on, it takes a while for the water to turn on. When you turn the water off, it flows for a little bit longer because of that gooseneck. Like now people can understand the basic concept. The same thing works with electricity. When you power an inductor, it takes a while. And when it finally comes out, when you turn it off, a little bit of extra electricity comes out. Is the analogy perfect? No. But that is kind of how when I'm dealing with things that are higher tech, I did chaos theory, I did um, string theory, I did parts of relativity and some of what Einstein's work and that's been later kind of developed on. Uh, if you don't have analogy, if I can't turn that somehow into, it is a mini story, right? I'm trying to relate it to something that you can see. Maybe you've experienced a kitchen faucet like that. Uh, if I If I don't do that and I just stick to data, I will be more accurate, but I will lose like nine out of 10 people. 
Yeah, so it's worth, I think, being being a little clearer for anyone who's never seen your content, what exactly is that you do. But most of the posts that I've seen you do recently, after you, you did those series on, on stories, is you're either getting something sort of technical or, or, or a complex subject like you just described and, and mm-hmm. picking an analogy to explain it to, to lay people. But you and you also do you rewrite copy, uh, advertising copy that mm-hmm. you know, or ads as most people understand them that mm-hmm. other people have done to to make them better. Uh, and one question I have when we were explaining the so the the goose snack analogy is mm-hmm. a lot of these things you're explaining are very technical, right? So mm-hmm. I I obviously understand that there is an element of showing your talent and showing what you're capable of when you're tackling those subjects but is there a technical person out there that you're going to sell one of these very complicated contraptions to that actually needs you know the tech operator for human because because i've seen it like i would i'm never gonna buy a lot of the things that that I've seen you describe in that way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. is it just the exercise of the skill and to show people that it can be made simpler, or, or is there an actual market for technical people that want a good copy? There, this is such a deep subject I've been talking to people about. Here, here's what I'll say. So, are you, the, the sales funnel? There is the sales funnel, right? And so in the sales funnel in the top, we have people who don't even know about you really. And then they kind of enter the funnel and then it's mild awareness down to like, I'm ready to go, ready to buy at the bottom of the funnel. A lot of my problem with a lot of the advertisements, with a lot of technical writing, with a lot of things like that, I am at the smack dab bottom of the funnel, like the very bottom, because I am advertising. I just saw one that I'm going to rewrite very soon, actually, that has so many acronyms and so many complex, it talks about their proprietary system and all that. Nobody knows what that is. Like nobody. So the amount of people who are in that bottom of the funnel is very, very small. So why am I curating advertising content for those tiny people as my only source? Now, mind you, you should have some for them, obviously. My thought is, though, that the funnel itself to hit the max amount of people. If you're going to put an ad on LinkedIn, you may as well hit a lot of people, right? We need to increase awareness. And that's where I see a big gap. So a lot of higher tech things, they don't get anybody in that awareness stage. So I like, I'm trying to think of specifically what it was. There's a lot of electronic sites who are advertising electronics. They don't start with the basics. They start posting the really complex things. Here's the difference between, you know, LoRa, which is this long range wireless protocol and Sigfox, which is this competing long range protocol. And again, you hit people in the bottom of that funnel, like the very bottom. Let's say you were Khan Academy. Khan Academy started by, you know, someone explaining the very, very basic rudimentary things. Mm-hmm. If you start explaining the basics, like what is a diode? What is a capacitor? You know, for electronics, these are the basics. These are the tiny little components that make up nothing. You can suck people in in that awareness phase. And similarly, you get like the students in school who are trying to learn and they want to look up what this is because they, you know, they have it for an assignment. So they go look it up. But you're casting that super wide net that guides people to the funnel of things at the bottom that kind of already exist. All those really high complex things already exist. So really, a lot of what I do, I get a lot of good feedback from the people who are complex, like who are in that bottom of the funnel because they're like, oh, that's a great way to relate it. People like me who were bottom of funnel want ways to talk to our wives, spouses, you know, children, 
about what we do so that they understand it. Because again, to your point, humans want to talk to other humans and tell them what we do and have people understand us. Uh, so I think people appreciate that. But to me, a lot of what I do is push the ads kind of up the funnel to catch a wider audience and have them understand, look, this is accessible to you. You can understand this. You can do it. And then maybe you might end up being bold enough to tackle some of these challenges or some of these products or things like that. So I was going to actually do a series two on like repairing electronics because it's easier than people think. But this way you're little like my $15 milk frother in the kitchen. Like when it breaks, it doesn't mean you have to throw it out. Like here's the things to look for to fix it. So for me, it's about educating the greater people, um, having them understand, making it accessible to them, not necessarily pleasing those people at the bottom of the funnel because they're already, there's already so much information for them there. You, you talked about analogies before, and I think a very, a very similar type of, of device would be, would be metaphors. And mm -hmm. I've seen many people describe a metaphor as the shorter, uh, the smallest version of a story. So I, I referred earlier to my Achilles heel. Now, most people these days probably don't know where that expression comes from, but they, they might have some awareness of what it means. But obviously, this was a, you know, a much longer story from Greek mythology of this guy, Achilles, who was the greatest warrior of all time, and he was invulnerable, I believe. And the only way to, to kill him was hitting him in the heel. Mm -hmm. And that's become Achilles heel, and now everybody understands that that's your your weakness or your your weakest mm -hmm. point, and and that is it is the short the, the easiest way to access a whole bunch of meaning in people's minds without having to say something that takes three or four sentences to say. So mm -hmm. you know the analogy and the and the the metaphor are perhaps the shortcut to what a lot of people do with with stories you know the story mm -hmm. is obviously a longer version of that but but your goal i think is you've now created a an analogy in a way that people can understand without it being so quick but obviously i think if you're doing copy you perhaps just don't have the space to write a story for the yeah. stuff people are going to hire you for you 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 know you can't tell a story in in most cases but having done that before and, and if we're just talking about content and getting ideas across to people do you have any particular preference for when do you think a story like the ones you've done before are more suitable and when the type of analogy where you know you pick a movie or you pick an everyday object and, and you, you use that as the comparison? Do you have any clear thoughts on which why one over the other? I guess for me it'd be emotional appeal is when I would switch to a story. So it is kind of interesting. I just did a, a copywriting competition. Did you see that? Congratulations. So, yeah, well, thank you. So we had to write, uh, I, we crowdsourced, someone would pick a topic, you know, we gave it to everybody, whatever topic they wanted. And then we would, me and another copywriter would, would give it a go and try to create something compelling. Uh, again, we limited to 1300 characters, the, uh, it's the size of a LinkedIn post, because we were originally just going to post ours. Uh, but we put it in an article so it'd be anonymous, which was actually a lot more fun. But it was about neurodiversity in the workplace. So people with ADHD, autism, all that, and, and getting a job, encouraging people to hire those individuals. Uh, that one actually would have been like really good for a story, I thought, because it's an emotional appeal. There's logic in it. There's a logical appeal, obviously. Um, a lot of these people are very talented and have very good skills, and they're just not well suited for the actual hiring process. Um, but I battled with that. You know, the blank page is copywriter's worst enemy. 
because do you pick an individual and guide that person through, you know, so like, you know, here's Johnny and Johnny is an all-star and does all these things, but he, Johnny gets rejected on each interview and why? Well, cause Johnny can't sit still. And what's it matter if he can sit still or not? Cause he's incredible. Um, or do you kind of go facts and data? Do you, which way do you drive? So my, if it was neurodiversity encompasses a whole lot of things. So I wanted to encompass all of them. I didn't want to focus on autism and leave out ADHD. I didn't want to leave out some of the other ones. I wanted to capture as much and as different as I could. Uh, So my approach was not a story in that regard. But when I would switch to a story uh, is, again, when I'm trying to elicit an emotional appeal, that's not a complete black and white because I could do a story for some of these electronics. I just don't have a lot of room. I have 1,300 characters to do it. And I think a metaphor does fine. But that to me is when, if I'm if I'm really looking to get someone passionate or an emotion, then stories are where I go. Yeah, I, I think that the reason you won that one was because, so I'm going to disagree with you. I, th- I think what you did was significantly closer to a story in that particular case <laughs> than what the other copywriter did. Because what you did was you, you gave you gave us a whole bunch of characters that we mm-hmm. would recognize. So I think you talked about Steve Jobs and, and Einstein and a whole bunch of other people that Branson, are normally yeah. considered to be very smart or geniuses even. And then you said, you know, what they all have in common is that none of them would be hired by most companies with their hiring practices because they are neurodiverse and they would they would fall through the cracks because of things that clearly don't shouldn't matter. Mm. Whereas the, the the other copywriter, what what she did was she she gave us a couple of two or three lines and then at some point right after she said, "Did you pick up the double word in the first line?" Um, mm. There was a the the in the first line and says you know a a neurodiverse person would have caught it so hire people that think differently than you and i thought that was very very smart Mm. but i didn't think it necessarily moved the the emotion needle anywhere near as much as yours because because yours had more clear characters that we could we could imagine as real people and so there's this thing i've said a number of times which is emotion decides and reason justifies. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. if you don't have the emotional trigger when you're making the decision, the fact that it's smart won't ever weigh as, as heavily or as powerfully as the fact that it moved you in any way. And you can mm-hmm. feel for the people that have lost a job, whereas the other one is more, you are being silly by not hiring the person that thinks differently than you. Whereas the first one is about putting yourself into the in, into the, these people's lives and because they're different. So I, in my reading, mm. that's why that one ended up being preferred. And in slim margins, but mm. but I, I still think that it doesn't need to be a story, but it's you have story elements in there. Yeah, the thing I like is you always get into the short copy, long copy. So what works better? It's always a question. Does short copy or long copy work better? And the the answer I like to give is it has to be long enough. <laughs> so this is one example, though. Her entry was 85 words. Mine was like uh, 190 something. So, I mean, I was, I was double her entry. And that always makes me nervous because I feel like if someone can get the full entire thought expressed in half the words, like I must be doing something really wrong. Um, but to me, it's a lesson because I've had people, when I do the ad rewrite, sometimes they grow. Sometimes they grow quite a bit. Uh, but it's because I feel like we need to have a progression and one line just isn't going to cut it. So 
you know, website headlines, they have to be punchy, they have to jump out. And it's like, but how can you cram? It's kind of the, uh, the Hemingway story, right? Baby shoes for sale, never worn. It's six words, but there's an entire story in that. So it's not just six words to be six words. Um, and that's yeah. where I think a lot of the disconnect is. So I, I appreciate your thoughts and your feedback on it. Um, when I had written it, it was like, I, I hit a point where I try to cut as much fluff as possible. And I didn't think there was much other than like cutting out certain people's names or cutting out certain companies that have implemented new hiring policies or something. But I did have a lot of people write back who thought that they were reversed, thought that I was the short one because you're addicted to short writing. You really like short and cutting out fluff. And I'm like, do you read my posts? They're all about 1300 characters. You know, they're all at the limit. So I don't know where you get that impression, but, but yeah, I try not to have useless words, but anyway, no, that's yeah, a good perspective yeah, on the- it. In, in the short copy, long copy argument. So I, I had some episodes ago. I had I had one of the guys from Story Brand on the podcast, oh, cool. and and he talked about what what they call the Starbucks test for your uh, for your website. So they say if you if you this is a bit, it's a bit of a weird scenario to be honest. But he said if you are in Starbucks and you just approach someone with your laptop and say, "Listen, um, do you mind just looking at this website and telling me what it's about?" And in supposedly you're going to give the person five seconds to look at the website and they need to be able to yeah. tell you what you do. And if they can't tell you in five seconds, then you haven't nailed that, yeah. that first line or lines on your website. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's a very clear and important thing to master. And it's going to lead me into talking to you about your thoughts on, on LinkedIn headlines. But I th- also think it's true that if you're reading an ad, you don't have necessarily, it's not a slogan. You don't have to catch people's uh, understanding and attention and move them within six words. You have two or three paragraphs to do it in in many cases. So as long as the first, as long as the hook gets them in, you've bought yourself enough time to to work it a bit more. So, you know, different messaging for different medium. There is, yeah, I've thought about putting some together on the art of the hook too, because, I spend the bulk of the time on the hook. You know, I don't, I don't underestimate the close. I mean, every part's important, right? So I don't underestimate the close. The close is important because I feel like that kind of gives you continuity into a next action, which I think people often overlook. Download our ebook. That's it. You know, but like, I don't know. It doesn't flow necessarily. Um, but I do put a lot of time on the hook. And one thing that's very interesting to me, and this is potentially a story thing, a lot of people avoid second person. And I was actually just on a job where they said, don't use second person because it could offend people in Europe. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, but I, I incorporate second person on almost all of them because to your point, I need to get someone in the story. So instead of saying, I streamline data gathering or something, but it would be like streamline your data with, you know, because I need you to realize, oh, my data is kind of a mess. I need a way to streamline it, right? So I put in a your but I mean, even that one little change fixes so many ads. I have an ad rewrite that I'm working on right now that's going to be different, and I'm kind of excited about it. I didn't, a lot of times it's a total teardown and rewrite. Um, I have one, I might even post it today if I can finish it, where I just take theirs and I'm like, let's do two simple things that radically change this ad. And it's like, one of them is you use like a proprietary name at the beginning with proprietary name. Let's just push it to the end. So do whatever with and put that at the end and then the beginning they have like you know streamline whatever optimize revenue like all these generic things that don't matter so don't use the generic use one specific 
you know, so instead of optimize your data, or I'm trying to think of a good one, but a lot of people say put your data in one place or make your data make sense or something, but something a little bit more specific than these generics that people see. So again, throw a your in there, and now I've pulled you into the story. So I've, I've added, you know, a specific with a your, so I'm trying to relate it to something about you. And then again, at the end, I put something to kind of call to action. So Anyway, I'm kind of excited about that one. I'm hoping it'll be good. The challenge of the specific is a very important one. And this is something, when I when I tell people about how to tell better stories, this is something people don't necessarily get. But once they get it, it it's obvious. Is that specific makes it universal. Because it, it grounds it in reality and makes people mm -hmm. feel that you actually know what you're talking about and gives them something very concrete to latch on to. So one example I've given recently is when when Steve Jobs was presenting the the iCloud one of the things he talked about was how you know you have all these different devices and you have the phone and you have the computer and you have the mm -hmm. iPad or you know whatever you whatever you have for your music and you have cables connected to one and to the other and then you forget to do one and and most people would have had that very specific experience at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, he could have used very highfalutin language to talk about the cloud, but he just said, you know, all these cables and you never know what's updated and it's a nightmare, it's cables everywhere. The whole thing is a nightmare. Now, we're going to do away with all of that. And and I think everyone can see themselves in that situation. And 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 then essentially you you know, as as you and everyone that talks about messaging or or good copy or or, or any marketing knows it's, it's the problem you're trying to solve. It's not how yep. you solve it. Uh, and, yep. and I think that a lot of people don't get that by having that specific thing, you make it easier for other people to see themselves in it. If you do, if you go generic, it just sounds generic and, and it yeah. might not catch the people that should have been caught because they didn't see that one thing that they go, Oh, actually that, that exact thing, I've got a problem with that. Yeah. And we've actually, I've done a bit of work with people with features and benefits. So the hard part is when you are too close to a product, you know all the features. So therefore you want to sell the features. So the features of the iCloud, you know, simultaneous update, everything updated, all your pictures in one place, whatever, uh, are the features. And so I found a lot of success by having people actually write down all the features because that's easy. They can do it. And then you have a so what column. All your pictures in one place. That's a feature. So what? So, you know, and then you talk about never lose a picture again, you know, you don't have to swap things to see where they are. It's, it's, you're confident, you know, where they are, they're safe, they're secure, they're your memories, they're valuable. And now it's like, we've created a whole nother thing is with story and with, with some of this messaging. I also think one element that people overlook is the focus. So I can talk about the history of the world. I can talk about the history of the country. I can talk about history of certain people where I can write about a certain, like a, a certain piece of a per person's life. I can write a certain day in their life. I can write about how they felt in a moment. Um, so I wrote a poem a while back, which it didn't go over well. Like it didn't, you know, it was, it was early on that I published it. It didn't get a lot of necessarily traction, but that was fine. I just kind of put it somewhere. So I had it. Uh, I wrote it for my wife a long time ago when we were dating and it was called the very first yawn. So I thought it was funny because when you yawn, if I yawned right now, you would probably yawn. Like, not because you don't like me, not because I don't like you. It's because it just happens. When someone sees someone else yawn, we have that reaction, right? So I thought that would be awesome if it started somewhere. Like, if there was a yawn. 
that somebody else saw that started them to yawn. Then before you know it, like now we have this pandemic of yawning in the world because anytime anybody yawns, somebody else sees them and yawns and we're just continuing this thing that was started in one moment. Um, so I wrote a, I wrote a poem about that, but I like, it, it kind of goes in with the tech copywriting thing too, is you can write about the big generic or you can hyper-focus onto like one element. And if you do it well, each one is interesting and each one is kind of different. So you can present the same solution in like a thousand different ways by, by narrowing in or broadening out. So well, cool. I don't know if you, if you did this on purpose, but if for anyone that, that studies story or, or listens to people that talk about story, the exact term you used is the term we use moment. So the moment is is one of the things that many people, including me, will tell you it's absolutely essential for a story is in is a specific moment, because otherwise you and what you get with is not a story, is a timeline. It's like yeah. how most companies present their you know our story is we were founded yeah. this day and blah, blah. whereas that's not the story. The story you know if you are if you are Airbnb the moment would be when there was a conference in San Francisco, they were broke, they were trying to find some way to make money, realize that all hotels were booked solid, and then they bought some air mattresses, advertised them online for 80 bucks a night, and got three guests to stay in air bed and breakfast. So that, you know, that was it. That was the that moment is is the most important part of the origin story of Airbnb. For yeah. most customers, if you're if you're talking to investors, then you have all sorts of other interesting things there about how yeah. they 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 produce the the seri- the election cereals, the Obama O's and the Cap McCain's, uh, or yeah. how they went to the hosts' uh, apartments, took a whole bunch of professional pictures and put them on the website because they realized that the quality of the pictures wasn't up to scratch, and that's what was dragging the website down. But whichever scene of those you you get, that that is the one scene you have to describe in as much detail as you can because that is really what the story is about. Everything else is what came before and what happened after. And if you if you if you don't drill down in a moment, it doesn't feel like real life. And this is why history in school was boring. Because although yeah. they had every possible interesting thing in the world to talk about, it was always from you know thirty thousand feet. And and that's not very exciting. I love that. See, I, so I struggle with this with big corporate. I was just looking at a company called Vichet. Vichet is an electronics company that does actually pretty boring parts. And then looked them up and found out their founder is actually like a Holocaust survivor. And like, there's so many interesting things about the adversity he overcame to found this company. I think of the entire company differently. And that's a whole point. Uh, and, and I think this is gives itself perhaps to story a little more than to you know regular copywriting is that... Mm-hmm. Products are a dime a dozen, and and most products and services are to some extent commodities. So what sets them apart is the human aspect of it. Now, that human aspect might just be, for some reason you bought it, and now you have your own experiences attached to that product, but it could just be that you know about the history of the founders, and Mm -hmm. then there is a human dimension to whatever service you're using so the yeti mug i'm sure yeah. has <laughs> but does he have an interesting story i just it? wanted everyone at home to know that i had one uh, all right a yeti mug. i'm just yes. kidding i'm sure you know i gotta go look at it but i think it was i think it is like an underdog kind of story because mm-hmm. a lot of the other people in the market the coleman's and all that stuff were already mm-hmm. established big companies I, 
I'm going to go look up their origin story now. And I bet you they did a good job. And I bet you it's a moment. My point is it's a commodity. It's a commodity. I mean, it's a total commodity. If you compare this to probably any other mug on the market, they would both keep ice cold the same amount of time. But the story people tell themselves is that this is the absolute best thing in the world. But they've created a story with it. Yet they all have bright colors and they're about you know, like grabbing your friends and hitting the beach that day or climbing a mountain. Like they've, they've created the story around the product so well that you don't buy the product, you're buying the story. Like, it's funny because I, I wanted to make like a, a joke, like a true ad for a Yeti and be like, it's been with me on my wildest adventures from like when I started Netflix until when I stopped watching Netflix, you know, because most people who buy them, you just buy it to keep your coffee warm in your house. You're not climbing Mount Everest. Um, but you feel like you are. It's really silly just because of this powder-coated mug. Don Donald Miller, who is the other guy, the yeah. most yeah. well-known guy from StoryBrand, he said that uh, <laughs> there was this knife, like a survival knife or something like that, that he, he I don't know, I think their ads are always this guy getting into all sorts of trouble and using the knife to, you know, MacGyver his way out of it. And he said... I'm never going to do any of those things in my life, but I just want to be the kind of man who could. So he got, the, a friend gave him the knife and he just says, I only use it to cut cheese, but every time I cut cheese, I feel like the most capable man in the world. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, right, okay, headlines. So right, for anyone sorry, who doesn't yes. know what we're talking about... When, uh, you know, if you have social media, pro uh, LinkedIn profile, there is a, a line or a few lines that go under your profile. And most people use that for their job title. Some people have started using that to say, I help this and this type of person do this other thing. Uh, and the reason I wanted to ask you your take on it, which I know you have one, is because headlines are one of the ways where, you know, messaging crosses over with copywriting and with story. And, and one of the hardest parts of any of these activities is for people to very succinctly say, what is this about and yep. why should I care? So, yep. you know, floor is yours. Um, I think, so number one, your headline is the only thing that travels with you. So your profile picture does and your headline. So any comment you make, any post you make, any anything you make, anytime you do anything anywhere, your headline is there. The first 55 characters of your headline is there. Um, so you can optimize your about section, you can, you can make a bunch of articles, you can do whatever you want, but nothing goes everywhere like your headline does. That is absolutely everywhere. Any comment, even if you make a smiley face comment, your headline is there. So to me, it's important that you do your headline uh, and you focus on it. What, there are a lot of people who just list the job title, it depends what you're trying to do. I work with a lot of CEOs that are proud that they're CEOs and they want to say, I'm the CEO of whatever. Okay. Like you can, <clears throat> I feel like the CEO title is being watered down because I could just start a company tomorrow and call myself CEO and have zero revenue. Um, and people do. So what I've tried to do, I feel like when you put the I help or something like that, you are number one, you're making it about yourself. Number two, you are, it's kind of needless characters. So what I like to do is there was something trending on TikTok like two weeks ago, which may as well have been like two decades ago as fast as TikTok trends stop. But it was, tell me what you do without telling me what you do. You know, tell me you have a million dollars without telling me you have a million dollars. And people would just 
be sitting on their yacht and take a drink of something ridiculously expensive. And you're like, Oh, okay. Um, but I love that concept. So I don't, there's two pieces I feel like need to be in a headline. The first one is the attention grabbing. That's the 55 characters. That is the, tell me what you do without telling me what you do. Um, and I'm breaking some rules because I'm not telling other people what I would do for them. That's implied. I'm telling what I do without telling what I do. And then the second half is an actual, like, okay, actually tell me what you do so that if the analogy is lost on me, if I don't understand the first 55 characters that I will, I will catch the second half. Um, so mine is, I can explain high tech to my mom. The second half would be tech copywriter for humans. So I feel like the first part says what I do. You know, you have a complex thing. You need to explain it. I could have said, I help you explain complex things to your customers. I could have said that, but that's pretty dry. I'd kind of sound like everybody else. Um, so instead, I chose to break down the way I did it. I explained what I do in 55 characters or less, right? What I do without explicitly saying it. And that's how I think you get people's attention. Um, it's kind of with that approach. It's hard to, it's yeah. not, it's not easy. I went through multiple revs. The other thing is you can change your headline a thousand times, 2000 times in a day if you want. Like, so don't, it doesn't have to be a big deal. I think some people make a big deal out of changing it. I mean, you can change it 20 times. It doesn't matter. Hmm. No cost associated. Yeah. Just go and change it. I think a lot of people resist the temptation of being too whimsical with their headline. And you just, you just want to say, you know, say what you do without necessarily, you know, I help, blah, 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 which can get kind of boring. But you also don't necessarily want to be too out there. So, you know, I, I think mine at the moment is tell the story and grow your business, right? Which is not overly mm -hmm. exciting, but should, should get the message across. Now, it if tells I what you do, though. Yeah. It tells what you do without saying what you do. Yeah. I, I could I could be more whimsical and say, um, become more interested in the Netflix. Mm -hmm. ah, I like that, but, though. See, yeah, but I would be interested in that. I like it. <laughs> Maybe Netflix is not. So become more interested than Hulu. Maybe I'll set the bar a bit lower. <laughs> oh, man. No, but I mean that if you become more interesting than Netflix to your customers. I was talking to teachers. There are mm -hmm. a lot of teachers who said, my students won't pay attention to me. I'm like, well, honestly, like we pay attention to whatever the most exciting thing in the room is. Yeah. You're not yeah. the most exciting thing. Like there's no, I can't sugarcoat this. You're not the most exciting thing. Mm. Be the most exciting thing and people will pay attention. However you'd like yeah. to do that. So I actually like that. I worked with somebody who was um, a CEO and they did uh, an element of phone systems. So they did phone systems for companies. And of course the original one is CEO of company name that you've never heard of, right? Mm. Which, why am I going to call you? You're the CEO of a company name. And especially nowadays when your company's name is Bean Sprout or something and nobody knows what you do. Like, I don't understand. You're the CEO. Congratulations. Mm. Um, so I wanted to change it. So people don't think of phone, uh, people pay a lot for lead generation, inbound leads. How do I get new customers? But they're actually calling you like a lot of them every day. So we, I wanted to change, uh, that person's to like your customers are calling. Are you listening? You know, or mm -hmm. something like that to like get you, you thinking about the customer experience, right? The customer journey and not specifically your yeah. phone system as being an end, just your phone system. Um, so yeah, I like that though. I'd change yours. Yeah, I might, I might give the, I might give the become more interested in the Netflix a spin. Uh, That's a, yeah, <laughs> oh man, that is a big, you should put the little VHS logo behind it. The little, 
See, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold. I'm not sold on the emojis yet. I actually, actually, just um, just a few days ago, I uh, I put I created a character called Clyde, and it's yeah. a conversation. So it's a video of me having a conversation with Clyde. And Clyde, yeah. I ask him what he does, and he says, uh, "I'm a purpose filler." And I said, "What does that mean?" And he said, "Oh, you know, I I help purpose driven entrepreneurs." live a life filled with purpose and, mm. and I said, but, but but if they're purpose driven don't they have purpose already and yeah. then he starts waffling oh i was like wow no wow uh, yeah. and then i was just trying to get him to say okay well can you actually just you know just say something real that regular human beings yeah. will understand and, and then he he gets kind of annoyed and says well this would make a lot more sense if i had a confused emoji and a fire emoji <laughs> so, you know, or a couple of rockets don't forget the rocket yeah yeah the rockets yes yes so oh so yeah I, i'm trying to resist becoming clyde um nothing against the emojis it's just yeah. not it, it's been a, like an old man's thing with me where i don't love them and i can definitely see that they can sometimes just putting a little microphone is saves you having to write that you're a speaker i don't have yeah. any problem with that but i think i'm just holding on to my old man's ha habits of just you know just write normally no emojis it, for me it's it's two things so first emojis and then secondly success of a headline so the emojis for me, I feel like if I said, I can explain high tech to your mom or to my mom, I come off rigid. I come off hard. I come off, um, what's a good word? Like pompous, arrogant, mm -hmm. right? Like I can do everything. So I have the little smiley guy with the little sweat bead, <laughs> like the little awkward. <laughs> um, and I think that helps diffuse that. So I think when people read it, it, it sounds like kind of accidental, right? Like I stumbled upon it, like more so than a hard, like I am the ultimate resource for whatever. So I feel like that helps lighten it, which is why I've, I've included the emoji on it because I'm trying to, the hard part is you're trying to convey emotion in writing, but I have 55 characters, so I can't really. Um, but I, I don't, like I said, all my best ideas have come to me by accident. The fact that I use the word moment is coincidence. Don't assume any of it is actual intelligence on my part. Uh, so that's where that smiley face kind of comes from. It fits. What I would call success of a headline because I get a lot of questions and I'm like, the way I view success is not likes, interactions, um, you know, clappy emojis and all that stuff is people who reach out and say they would like to work with me. That's how I view success. If I haven't had that in a while, well, that's bad. I get about three to six reach outs a week, which is good. Um, and that to me is success. Success with the headline is when I have people use it back to me. So I have people reach out and their intro to me when they will like message me out of the blue is, Hey, I need to explain high tech to my mom, help me out. Or one guy we I just finished a write up for him was uh, like, my mom has no idea what I'm doing. I need your help. You know, like, but people <laughs> repeat back to me what my headline yeah. is to me. And that's when I know I won. Yeah. So if you, if you did your making you more, um, making you more entertaining than Netflix, making you more interesting in Netflix, you know, you know that you would have people reach out and be like, yeah, I need to be more interesting than Netflix. Help me. And to me, that's a sign of a good headline. Yeah. It worked. I can tell that's my attribution. I can tell right where you came from because you even used my headline right in that text. Yeah. And, and this is something that is, that is very, this is a summarized version of an effect that I've gotten many times with, with stories because I've done, I've done a ton of public speaking. And and this is something because I'm very dumb as well. So it took me years to realize what my bet why my better speeches were better. 
Mm. Even though people would always say, oh, I love that speech about the rat. Or I love that one about your ex-wife. It was never this, you know, rhetor- rhetorical rhetorical adventure that I put together with all sorts of different things. It was always like a story. And it had plenty of yeah. stuff in, in there to make it more interesting, necessarily, than, than just the normal telling of the story. But you become, they people come to you and say, oh, that time you did the one about Tuscany. And then mm-hmm. that becomes what they identify with you. And and the yep. headline, the headline when it works is painting a picture in people's minds or getting their sending their brain into all sorts of all sorts of different ways or places that that you wouldn't necessarily get if it's not so evocative and again I'm, I'm troubled clearly because I read yours and I got you know I can explain high tech to your mom <laughs> I had this you know 1980s sort of bully having a conversation I thought that's a very you know sophisticated uh, <laughs> way to tell someone off or or threaten them but you know yeah. it's uh, maybe it's the copywriter way of of sounding threatening but competent at the same time so that that's just my troubled mind clearly <laughs> i know i'm like i gotta make sure people read it more slowly now so they see my mom it, i think i think it's just me james <laughs> right listen if um if people want to want to 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 see any of the stuff that we talked uh, at length about uh, is is linkedin pretty much the, the place to go for it Yes. It's actually funny because I was working on a website, um, but I've had so much business come in. I haven't had time to make the website, which is funny to me because I see all those posts about, do I need a website or do I not? Mm. Uh, what I would say too, is if you want to see the ad rewrites, you can go, if you go in LinkedIn and you go in the search bar and you just type in hashtag LinkedIn ad rewrites, no spaces. Um, it will, all those posts will pop up and there's almost, I think I'm pretty close to 400 followers of that tag. I mean, I try to keep it refreshed. Um, I'm doing that series on electronics. So if you went into LinkedIn and you typed in hashtag EE101, so EE101, all those would come up. Um, or you can just hit my profile or send me a message. I try to respond to everybody, um, even if it's a little delayed. Sorry, Francisco. Um, <laughs> so I should be fairly accessible. But yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Cool. I'll, I'll add all of that stuff to, to the show notes. Um, cool. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad we finally did this, and uh, and and thanks for thanks for coming to the show, man. Yep, thank you for your persistence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves, and until next time. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. It's very easy. You open the app and find this show. Then scroll down a little, and when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it, and it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch, or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn, or visit my website, storypowers.com.